is a fifth dimension, beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. doing my research into the episode what you need like i said in the last podcast there isn't a huge amount of trivia about this one but there is one very interesting piece of trivia and that is that this episode of the twilight zone isn't actually the first time that the story has been adapted it was originally adapted for a television anthology science fiction show called tales of tomorrow Now, Tales of Tomorrow began in 1951 and featured the first televised adaptions of a few science fiction writers' work, people like Isaac Asimov and so on. And apparently, and I'm not sure as to the extent of this, but apparently Rod Serling used to pitch stories to the show, Um, but he certainly watched it. I guess it is very much a precursor to The Twilight Zone. But the show featured names like Lon Chaney Jr., who played Frankenstein's monster in an episode. It featured Paul Newman, Leslie Nielsen, James Doohan from Star Trek, all kinds of names like that. Now, What You Need was broadcast in 1952, performed live, like apparently all of the shows were, but it's more of a literal adaption of the story than the Twilight Zone one was, and maybe, and this is certainly supposition on my part, maybe that played a small part in Rod Sailing not wanting to adapt the story as written. You know, maybe it was that it had already been done pretty faithfully before that he, he didn't want to do it again. But like I say, that's uh, that's all supposition on my part. So if you would like to check out that adaptation yourself, head over to dimensionxradio.com where you can stream the episode. I've put it in the Twilight Zone section. At the time of releasing this podcast, it's probably still going to be on the first page, so if not, you can find it in the Twilight Zone Index in the special section and you can can watch that episode. But right now we're going to discuss the Twilight Zone version and in this version of What You Need, the show opens in a smoky little bar full of the kind of people who generally go and sit in bars and films, you know, to forget their troubles, that kind of thing. And one of these people is Fred Reynard, who's just threatened the bartender for suggesting that he should buy another drink and not just take up space. You're looking at Mr. Fred Reynard, who carries on his shoulder a chip the size of the national debt. This is a sour man, a friendless man, a lonely man, a grasping, compulsive, nervous man. This is a man who has lived 36 undistinguished, meaningless, pointless, failure-laden years and who at this moment looks for an escape, any escape, any way, anything, anybody, to get out of the rut. And this little old man 
is just what Mr. Renard is waiting for. First broadcast on the 25th of December 1959 and directed by Alvin Ganza. As we know, it's based on a short story by Lewis Paget, which was a pseudonym for two writers, Henry Kuttner and C.L. Moore. There was a lengthier opening narration. Like the previous ones that we've spoke about on the show, I, th- I think the one they used was better, but the original one went like this. You're looking at Fred Reynard, age 36, who carries a chip on his shoulder, a chip the size of the national debt. This is an antagonism directed against the world, those who people it, the taste of his food, the temperature of his coffee, the fact that he has lost 11 jobs in the past year and three girlfriends in the past month. Beyond that, this is just a general displeasure that is as much part of the man as his eyes, nose and ears. This is a sour man, a friendless man, a lonely man, a grasping, compulsive, nervous man, This is a man who has lived 36 undistinguished, meaningless, pointless, failure-laden years and who at this moment looks for an escape, any escape, any route out of the norm, any channel out of the sameness slop of his living, any way, anything, anybody to get out of that rut. And this little old man is just what Mr. Reynard is waiting for. So in comes that little old man, a a man simply known as Pedot. Now, it's quite an unusual name and I would love to know what it means, whether it has some significance. I can't actually find any meaning to it, so if anyone out there knows it, then do let me know. So his presence in the bar kind of sets in motion a little domino effect of occurrences that start with him selling a lonely looking lady a small bottle of stain remover and it ends with that lady headed out of the bar with a down-on-his-luck baseball player who, who too got what he needed from Padot. So he gives out these objects that seemingly mean nothing at the time, but then all of a sudden they become very useful to someone. So the show was broadcast on Christmas Day, and I have to wonder what they made of it then, you know. In a lot of ways it has some very Christmas show kinds of elements to it, a lot of Christmas spirit, you know, this selfless man doing these little good deeds, he he kind of looks like Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life, you know, that kind of a little old man kind of look, but then there's a pretty dark ending to it as well, so, you know, I, I do wonder what people made of it at the time, but we'll talk more about that later. So the man with the chip the size of the national debt, which incidentally was a line that they reused for the Twilight Zone movie, is a man by the name of Fred Reynard. Now Reynard, at this point, we don't really know anything about. We know that he's got a temper the way he snaps at the bartender, and we know that Rod Serling has told us that he's a sour, friendless and lonely man, but does that necessarily make him a bad man? He might just be at this point really in need of a little helping hand from Pedot. And when you see him at the bar, he's he looks quite sympathetic, you know, he's obviously got the weight of the world on his shoulders. So that original opening narration kind of tells you why, you know, he he is sympathetic in some ways, you know. But the thing is that when Padot first sees Reynard, he obviously has some sort of bad feeling about him. And Reynard, in return, is really interested in the goings-on in the bar, this 
little domino effect that takes place before him and he just watches with, with real interest. Now you could say there's a little blooper here. The, there's a baseball player at the bar who's drowning his sorrows and Pedot and him don't ever seem to have met because the bartender feels the need to introduce them. But through this introduction he says that both of them are in there every night so you'd think that their paths would have crossed before at some point. <laughs> Tell him Lefty. Tell him what you need. The old coot comes in here every night bugging everybody he's got what they need. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you really need. What do you need? A new left arm. A new left arm? Yeah, Lefty was quite a pitcher in his time. He pitched for a couple of years for the Cubs. Then his arm went sour. Didn't it, Lefty? What do you do now? <laughs> what does he do now? <laughs> he comes in here seven nights a week. Looking for a baseball career at the bottom of a bottle. <laughs> but anyway, I... I like Pedot's little piece of dialogue at the end of this scene. The, the baseball player gets a call to go to Scranton, Pennsylvania for a job and a few minutes previously, Pedot had given him a bus ticket to get there. Old manager of mine, been looking for me for three weeks. Got me a job, coaching job. Minor league club in Scranton. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Must be to take a bus there. He wants me to take a bus there. How about that? How'd you know, Pop? Coincidence, maybe. Or just good fortune. But why question it? It's there for you. You just take it. So why question it? Just take it. You know, I like that. You know, when a, a little piece of magic happens in your life, why question it? Just grasp it and enjoy it. Unfortunately, though, when Pedot leaves the bar and sets up his little suitcase of things, Reynard has followed him, and now he wants to know what he needs. What do I need? You tell me, old man. One needs many different things. Yeah, 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 but what do I need now? Huh? What do I need tonight? It's late. What do I need? Scissors. What is this? Some kind of gag? I don't want you to level with me, old man. I mean it. Don't spread you all over the street. They're what you need. They really are. So now we know Renard might be desperate and lonely and so on, but he's also willing to do whatever it takes to get himself out of that rut. And at this point, you could still make the case for him being maybe just not necessarily a bad guy, just desperate, but. That changes a little bit down the line because right now he has these scissors and he's just about to discover why he needs them. He gets into the elevator at the hotel where he's staying and his scarf gets stuck in the door. And as the lift goes up, the scarf starts to strangle him until he pulls out the scissors and cuts himself free, which is a nice little variation on the scarf getting caught in the printing machine that was in that original short story. You know, it had been a while since I'd seen this episode when I watched it recently and I couldn't quite remember the details, which is good because, you know, it's like watching it for the first time then. And 
I think at this point it could go two ways. You know, after Reynard frees himself, he looks really relieved and he's got a big smile on his face and you could, you know, you're, I guess, kind of happy for the guy in a way. You could imagine that he could use this as a second chance at life, you know. He's had this little bit of magic in his life and maybe it's time to reevaluate things, reassess where you are and how you're going to live from then on. But unfortunately, that's not what Renard does. I think the key word here, and they say it often enough, is need. What you need. And in the short story, Carmichael, the main character in that one, explicitly defines the difference between want and need. He says something along the lines of, you know, you may want a ton of diamonds, but you don't really need a ton of diamonds. The thing with Renard now in this story is that now he's had what he needs, he starts to truly become the villain of the piece because now it's not about what he needs anymore, it's about what he wants. You got a partner now. I don't need a partner. I don't need anything. I'm content. I, I have this talent, but I use it sparingly. I must use it sparingly. When he says that line, Pedos, you know, he says that he must use his talent sparingly. I like the dark little look he has on his face. If you look at his apartment, it's a very humble little place, very, very much in fitting with the whole what you need thing. There's some chairs, a radio, a couple of cabinets, the kind of place that's pretty much all you need if you can keep your desires in check, you know. It's not the lap of luxury, but it's just what you need to get by. And when he says that, I must use it sparingly. You know, I could almost imagine that maybe there was a time in his life when he didn't use it sparingly. And maybe he paid the price for that, which is what puts him on this path. Again, sailing is leaving a big unknown element in this story. Pedot's ability is simply called his talent and it's in contrast to the machine from the short story that, that predicts the future but again I, I think it works just fine. So unfortunately Renard is trying to use Pedot's talent to his advantage now and it works once. Pedot gives him a pen that drips ink onto a newspaper. Now come on concentrate. Go into a trance or whatever you do and tell me what I need to know for tomorrow. What's for the next day? What's for Wednesday? Come on, old man, concentrate! What do I need? A pen? What is this, a gag or something? A leaky pen. I'm supposed to need a leaky pen, is that it? A pen that drips all over the... This is wild. This is really wild. Look, look, he dropped right alongside of a horse's name. Staunch soldier runs in the first race tomorrow. Hey, old man. You're all right. So it drips ink onto the newspaper, which points to a horse that Renard should bet on the next day. Now, if you look at some of the jockeys' names in the newspaper, they might sound a little familiar to you. There's Boyle, Sailing, Hagar, Clemens, Houghton, and so on. Obviously all people involved in the show, a nice little in-joke, I guess. So Renard wins himself $240 by betting on the horse, but when he tries to use the fountain pen again, 
it's ran out of ink. The eagle-eyed out there will notice that when he tries to use it again, he tries to use it on a different newspaper. And it's actually the newspaper that was used in time enough at last, the one with the headline about the H-bomb. So of course he goes back to Padot and Padot refuses to give him anything else. The thing he gives are only for one use, he says, and he doesn't want to sell him anything else. Why? Well, why does it have to stop? Because the things you need most, I can't supply. Well, what are they? Serenity, peace of mind, humor, the ability to laugh at oneself. Those are the things you need most, but it's beyond my power to give them to you. Now look, look deep, look deep and tell me what's for tomorrow. Probably my favorite moment of the episode, I think with those words he really looks into Renard's soul and holds up a mirror to him, showing all of the worst things about him and Renard knows he's right. He's actually stopped in his tracks for a moment, but then he does the thing that, you know, bullies will do in that in that situation with all their insecurities laid bare like that. He gets angry and he starts to threaten Pedot. He rifles through his suitcase and he finds a pair of shoes. Now Pedot is protesting, you know, please don't take them and so on. So Renard takes the shoes and he puts them on. And as a result of slipping, Renard can't get out of the way of a car that comes around the corner quick enough and he gets hit by the car and dies mr renard what i saw in your eyes at that bar was death my death you were going to kill me so what was needed for mr renard was slippery shoes that's what was needed. Slippery shoes. So it's a dark little end into this Christmas Day broadcast, you know. It, although it does kind of finish on a humorous note when Paddock gives a guy a comb a couple of minutes before he gets his picture taken for a newspaper. I guess it must have been by design that it was put out on Christmas Day, you know. Because it does start out like a very heartwarming little story where nice people who are down on their luck get these nice things from a nice man. And things turn out well for them. It could have been a nice little Christmas story where Padot wanders from place to place giving people what they need. You know, a, a miracle on 34th Street kind of affair. But then there's Renard who is a, you know, a spanner in the works throwing our nice little Christmas story off track and... His fate is quite unexpected because Pedot is this almost Santa Claus-like figure, selfless and humble and just a picture of goodness, and he effectively kills Renard. Now in the short story when Tally kills Carmichael, it's less jarring because up until that point we think that Tally is just out for profit, so it's not totally unexpected that he would try to protect his cash cow. The curveball is that it's actually not about the cash, it's about steering important people through life so that they can continue to do their good work, their important work, or giving people with evil ends what the world needs, and that's death. 
I have to say, when I read the short story Disappearing Act by Richard Matheson, that sailing adapted for And When the Sky Was Opened, I I think Sailing's version of the story was actually much better. Of course, that's subjective, you know, that's just my opinion, but I think there was more to it, you know, better characters and that feeling of there being something pulling the strings. In the case of what you need though, I think that each story has its merits and I'm glad they kind of coexist. And I'm also glad that that episode of Tales of Tomorrow exists too, although I think it makes the story a bit more conventional in the end and maybe even in those days they had to present things on television in a certain way, I don't know. I won't ruin that interview for anyone who wants to go to the website and watch it, but you know, have a watch, maybe leave a comment, let us know what you think. Now Mark Zickry in The Twilight Zone Companion says that the show suffers from lacklustre direction and performances. I mean, I guess the direction is functional, there aren't any particular flourishes, but I wouldn't go so far as to call it lacklustre myself, and I definitely wouldn't say that about the performances. I think both leads do a, a great job, I mean, Steve Cochran, who played Renard is, you know, he's suitably menacing and bullish and apparently in real life he had a bit of a troubled life. He went through several marriages and he unfortunately died very young, only about five years after this episode was made from a lung infection. There's a couple of quotes out there that I'll read out from him. He said, The big secret in playing a gangster in movies is to really believe that the character you're playing is doing no wrong. And he backs that up with another quote. He says, I don't act like a hood. I'm basically a decent person. And I let this come through in my portrayals. After all, a guy has to make a living some way, even if he's a gangster. Now, I think that came through in this episode, to be honest. You know, like I said, there are moments where you're kind of sympathetic to the character. You know, at the beginning, when he just looks like a guy who's very down on his luck or, you know, someone who's in trouble. Even after we know that he's threatened Padot and so on, when he when he saves himself with the scissors, you know, I, I find myself quite happy for him and, you know, rooting for him to take this opportunity to perhaps better himself. So yes, you know, Steve Cochran, I, I think, did a great job. He, he plays him like this man who's just doing what he needs to do to survive rather than rather than a moustache twirling villain although as the piece goes on he does seem to take a bit of pleasure in tormenting Padot. Now Ernest Truex and I hope that's the right way to pronounce his name he was the gentleman who played Padot and he was born in 1899 and died in 1973 so thankfully he had a good long life and again I thought he was very good you know rather meek and unassuming but then he had these real intense moments where he'll really look at someone you know look into their soul and get this intensity in his delivery you know like i said earlier that scene where he says to renard that he'll never be able to give him what he needs that's definitely my favorite scene of the episode i think it was nicely performed i'm very fond of what you need i think it delivers its message well and it does make you think on what we truly do need and and again, I like this thing of it starting out as a kind of heartwarming little Christmas-like tale that's just ambushed and thrown off track by this petty criminal that causes our kindly hero to go to a place that you really don't expect him to go. You know, it's 
It's like Santa Claus running someone over with his sleigh. The thing that I've enjoyed most about looking into this one is seeing these different versions of the story. In the short story, Tally was serving mankind in a big way and Padot was doing it in his own small way. You know, different takes on the same idea always fascinate me and in this case I think each each interpretation does its job very well. You know, different characters, different situations and maybe slightly different lessons to be learned from each of them so I think they each justify their own existence quite nicely. Street scene, night. Traffic accident. Victim named Fred Renard. Gentleman with a sour face to whom contentment came with difficulty. Fred Renard who took all that was needed in the twilight zone. So there we go, what you need. Not much meat on this one, so I, uh, you know, apologize if it seems like a bit of a, a thin episode, but like I say, there wasn't really that much in the way of trivia and so on. A couple of things about the site. Like I say, that, uh, that episode of Tales of Tomorrow is there if you want to check that out. Over in the Night Gallery podcast, Chris is coming up to a very important episode of the Night Gallery the tearing down Tim Riley's bar. So head over there and check that one out. It's a, it's a wonderful episode and I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say about it. I mentioned in the last episode about the forum. If you go into the top right-hand corner of the site, you can see the link to the, the official UK forum of the Twilight Zone. But just because it's the UK forum, it doesn't mean no one else is welcome. Everyone's welcome and... Uh, it's nice to see a couple of familiar faces have started posting there already. Our, our friend Ben, who we've spoken about in the past, and also Luke from Bodica Films, the creator of the, that great internet show, The Collector's Room, which, incidentally, there is now a link to at the bottom of the site as well, so go there and, and check that out too. Before I go, I'll just mention one more thing. I've been podcasting for over a year now a year and a half maybe and i think one of the great pleasures of it is connecting with other podcasters you know i think it's one of those things where 99 percent of people are doing this for free there's not really any revenue to be made on it so it creates quite a nice atmosphere of creativity without any of the without any of the competitiveness of pretty much everything else in life and I got an email, a nice email from Agent Shadow from the X-Files Truth podcast. Some great words about the show, says how much he enjoys it, and he just happened to be driving onto a submarine base when he was listening to the episode about Judgment Night. He's got a equally big task on his hands, I think, with tackling each and every episode of the X-Files. And if you want to check out his podcast, I listen to a very enjoyable show, nicely put together. That's at xfilestruth.wordpress.com. So go and check out his show if you're an X-Files fan. So join me next time when we'll be discussing the episode, The Four of Us Are Dying. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.